0: This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. My guest at this time rejoins us here on the COVID report, Dr. Ramik Aluwalia, the CEO of Higher Health South Africa. Thank you so much for joining us again on the show and uh, welcome back onto the COVID report. Could you please start by taking us through the state of the COVID-19 pandemic in India and also um, shed some light as to why cases have suddenly been on the rise.
1: What we are seeing in India is, is absolutely devastating. And as a global community and as a world which is together in this fight against the COVID, it is absolutely clear that we we have to stand, we mourn the, the magnitude of loss in India right now, and we have to stand together because what is happening in India is clearly an indication of a brutal wave that can follow in any part of the world, including South Africa. So there is an absolute area of concern. India, there is a lot of factors why India is experiencing this brutal wave. There has been absolutely lack of behavior among the people. and There has been challenges with lots of political election rallies and festivals being celebrated with no social distancing or the mask wearing or factors that prevented the spread of the COVID infection. But predominantly due to cross migration and India being one of the biggest commercial hub in the world, clearly it was evident that the mutants or the mutations of the COVID pandemic were moving from one country to the other. So the variant that was first detected in the United Kingdom has its very high transmissibility factor, which has clearly been seen in this new Indian upsurge of the COVID wave, of the second wave, has been also because of one of this variant that has been from UK somehow coming to India and multiplying in huge numbers, as well as it's highly transmissible. But also, India has uh, many other mutations that have happened in the COVID, which have been started to be detected in India alone. So there's a multiple mutations and multiple variants that are in different parts of India, and uh, they have actually caused the havoc of, because these mutations are happening every moment in the virus, but most of these mutations are non-significant, but certain mutations become very, very significant. And India is now experiencing multiple significant variations, variants in, this, in their country, some first detected in India, but the other ones are the ones detected in UK. There's also our own, the one which was detected in South Africa, is also seen to be one of the cause of a, the high upsurge, and as well as the one found in, in California, the one found in Brazil. So the multiple variants and the variants first detected in India, which obviously is the biggest factor, have led to such a high upsurge of the COVID wave and the brutal wave that we're experiencing in India.
0: Now, Doctor, for the benefit of those who would like to get a bit of insight into the potential dangers of this new variant, we mentioned at the top of our discussion that this variant is known as a double mutant or rather a variant that contains two key mutations to the outer spike portion of the virus that attaches to human cells, according to Indian virologist Shahid Jamil. Can you please take us through exactly what makes this new variant potentially more deadly than other previous variants of the virus?
1: I would not say it is more deadly, and there's a misnomer into it. So let me clarify. This was, it's a dominant variant, and this variant is of a huge concern. There's no doubt about it. This variant was first found in Mumbai, in Maharashtra of India, or the province of India. But it's a misnomer. It's actually a terrible nickname, I would say. Because in reality, we see 13 mutations in the same variant. With probably three of these mutations on spike protein alone. However, I think people have dubbed it this name because of the following two concerning mutations, and which probably have appeared for the first time together in one variant. The one of the mutations is very similar to the variant that was first detected in California. And the mutation is called L452R. And the other one is a mutation called E484Q, which is kind of very similar. A mutation to what was seen of our own, you know, the one which was detected in South Africa, the B1351. And of course, also the very similar one was the P1, which was in Brazil. Now, the reality is both these mutations are highly transmissible. So they add the transmissibility to a very high extent. But the E484K mutation, which has been seen in the same variant, means that it's kind of an escape mutation, which means if we had the first wave in India and people were infected with the first wave, they had a natural immunity because they had got the original COVID virus into their bodies. But this variation in their spike protein now means that they are escape mutation, means they can actually now escape that immunity so, those antibodies which were developed are kind of ineffective, and this virus has changed its color in such a way that it can escape the antibodies. so the reinfection of people is happening quite in numbers, and that 's what science is trying to to tell that this means that it 's reducing the number of neutralizing antibodies from the unvaccinated people or vaccinated people, but predominantly the natural immunity that was produced from maybe the first wave is kind of now ineffective in the second wave. But the good news is that the vaccines are still shown to be effective against these variants and these mutations. The reason is because the vaccines produce the kind of immunity which is much stronger than a natural immunity that is produced in response to a virus that enters our body in that regard. So WHO has declared this as a variant of interest and a variant of concern, but I think we should not confuse that this is either double contagious or double deadly. No. Double mutant is because of many mutations in the same virus. A couple of these mutations are very, very unlikely to be seen in the same variant, and that is why it's called a double mutant, because of the two different mutants which were as two different variants, but now it's combined into one variant, which is obviously alerting, in which the one variant is highly transmissible, and the other variant is an escape mutation that can escape the antibody. So that makes it a bit more troublesome, worrisome, and, and exactly the burdening of the healthcare system, lack of oxygen supplies, and huge burden on the healthcare workers, and a huge system collapse, which obviously leads to high mortality and high deaths which could be averted if there was a less burden or overburden of our health system.
0: So from the studies that you conducted, is the sudden rise in COVID-19 cases something that could have been avoided? How was India's attitude to the virus before? And were there already measures or restrictions in place to control the spread of the virus? You mentioned at the top of our discussion how densely populated the country of India is, the reputation it has for being the financial and marketing hub of much of the world, and the fact that the country of India is so massively populated as it is. Could this have contributed to the rise in COVID cases? And do you think more could have been done to avoid this?
1: Definitely. I think it's quite evident. I don't think there's any scientific reasoning into it. Science is basically trying to give us the number of variants, and mutations that are happening the highly transmissibility, the escaping of antibodies. But human behavior and governance and other issues are very much related beyond the science, as much as science will inform that this is the ways of prevention. So clearly, there is no doubt that there was a huge relaxation of not understanding that the virus does mutate and move from one individual to the other, and more it will move, more it will mutate. the lack of people following social distancing not wearing masks uh, super spreader events which kind of have been quite visibly seen india was going through elections which obviously brings rallies and brings a lot of people together and the indian festivals were noticed notifying to be seen as super spreader events where huge thousands of people are clustering together in religious places and mingling and of course, festivities and culture of parties and marriages and these have all been uh, really contributing. And and also, I would say humans as well as the governance needs to be also taking cognizance that you know, in the midst of a COVID pandemic, we are seeing other parts of the world becoming quite challenging. South Africa went through a massive second wave through some super spreader events ourselves, and like the Balita rage parties and stuff and the new variants are showing affinity to young people that's a reality in fact it's really worrying because more young people are dying due to the new variants and the affinity to the young people and the young people have been a big carriers of this virus and spreading the virus but they also equally now being having fatalities in the young people due to a collapse in the healthcare system they're absolutely the reasoning towards why This variant showing affinity to young people also leading to fatalities now in young people. So the reality is that India is also, like South Africa, a young country with lots of young people. So these mutations were happening gradually. Variants were moving around, changing their colors into high transmissibility. So they were sitting on an iceberg, which obviously blew off, for which they were totally found unprepared. They didn't have those field hospitals or field places, which also South Africa needs to learn that, you know, we built some big field centers, say in the Cape Town ICC or Joburg in in our midst so that we can accommodate lots of people together for oxygen supplies and immediate needs. I think India had dismantled what they did for the first wave and, and the speed of the second wave came so quickly that the healthcare system totally was found collapsed and demand for oxygen, demand for needs for oxygen, fell in acute shortage Some of the deaths could be averted because early oxygen in the moderate and the mild cases can revert the disease back very quickly. But with lack of oxygen support and lack of medication, the person can end up in a severe disease. So yes, they've been caught wanting. It's a big lesson for the whole global world. South Africa will experience third wave some of the other way times. And the global world will also experience it. So the brutal wave is giving a lot of learning lessons of preparation and our state of readiness to be reminding us that these mutations are possible and it's going to happen. It's inevitable. And it's a matter of time that we need to protect ourselves.
0: I'm latching on to the closing bit of your answer because it segues nicely into my next question, because I'm sure we can both appreciate the polarizing nature of this discussion and the ways in which these reports that surface of other countries and the situation that they're experiencing dealing with this virus may trickle down to us down here in South Africa and cause concern, cause panic even for some in certain sectors of South African society. Do you think that South Africa can be proactive in instilling further measures to prevent the country from experiencing what India is experiencing at the moment? And if so, what do you think we can do? Clearly,
1: as you can see, vaccination is a big game changer in this pandemic. Indian populations also got caught wanting because they haven't been able to vaccinate. And they've vaccinated a lot, and there's no doubt about it, but the population is far bigger. So they are, the percentage population of vaccination is far lower compared to what they should be. Other countries like U.S., U.K. have been quite aggressively vaccinating people at this stage. South Africa, unfortunately, is very slow in the terms of vaccination so far, but there is the reality of being caught into the global world of this whole vaccination saga of the first world versus the third world countries is being quite difficult and challenging of calls into human equality in terms of vaccine equality, in terms of the vaccine distribution program. But irrespective, what we have to do is to vaccinate people. And there is no other choice because the only way, clearly in India, these mutants which we are seeing, are, vaccines are effective because the immune response vaccines produce are uh, far stronger than the natural immune response. And vaccines also help in curtail the spread of the virus also further. And the virus will mutate only if it moves from one body to the other. So the lesson for South Africa first is that we need to quickly vaccinate our population. And we had to work hard towards, towards a mass vaccination program. That's definitely one big game changer. The second one is we need to be prepared with our uh, healthcare system. The supply of oxygen cylinders, the manufacturing of oxygen in-house, the versus our field systems. And of course, the lockdown system, or we are still in lockdown one, and human behavior needs to continuously be pushing towards those mandated restrictions that we have been imposed so these are principles that we need to learn from india and from the world and serve ourselves towards being prepared towards what we call as the third wave but should we be able to do these few things we can definitely revert the third wave into later stages or not even have to have go through it
0: now doctor you mentioned the vaccinations and the need to aggressively ramp up our efforts to vaccinate our people here in South Africa. So in the interest of further quelling concern and further shedding light on the matter that you touched on earlier about how this new uh, variant found in India might not necessarily have a damaging uh, impact on the effectiveness of the vaccines being produced, the vaccines that were specifically produced in India that were sent to South Africa for our own vaccine rollout. Could you please take us through the ways in which this newly detected India variant has or doesn't have an effect on the effectiveness of vaccines already in distribution globally and in South Africa specifically?
1: So science is evolving, you know, and science will keep evolving and keep giving us more data as time goes. But for now, the Indian studies have shown that these new variants that are moving around, vaccines have been effective. And vaccines do produce the kind of immune response that will prevent individuals from being into severe cases or being hospitalized, which is the first big win that we have. Any vaccine will not help you 100% towards not getting the infection and spreading the infection. But what they can do is limit completely your chance of being into the hospital, which is the first big win because that's where we want to save human lives. But that's been seen clearly with this, whether the vaccine is produced in India or whether the vaccine is produced from other manufacturers around the world. So vaccines are very effective, irrespective of whatever it is, vaccines needs to be, it needs to be rolled out. That's what the message is. Now, the variant in India, it's highly possible that our second wave that we just went through, the, it obviously many people we tested and we knew were positive, but there were many we do not know who were positive, but got infected because it might be asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. In those scenarios, there's a possibility that the immune response that our natural immunity has produced might be effective in this new mutants that are we seeing in India for now. Too loose to say because too early signs for the science to, to confirm such a statement. So the important point is to be remain extremely vigilant. And I know the National Institute of Communicable Diseases looking at these clustered outbreaks that happens in one of our universities or in other congregate settings because there we can pick up whether is we are seeing a a new mutant coming in which is highly transmissible and escaping some antibodies, or is it just the old variant that is still existing in South Africa and, and moving around in our lives. So it requires extreme vigilance. It requires early detection of these mutants in our country and also it requires us to really ramp up our vaccination drive program.
0: Now, Doctor, the last time we had you on the COVID report, we were talking about the plans being put in place by Higher Health to map out a process of the vaccine rollout within institutions of higher learning through the close work that Higher Health engages in with young people. So in that vein, could you further talk us through the work that you continue to do with young people in terms of the preparations that you are putting underway for this looming third wave of the virus in the country. And could you also talk me through your observations on the youth's attitude towards COVID-19 at the moment, specifically in the midst of the growing conjecture around this vaccine rollout? Do you think that young people are still taking this virus as seriously as they did in the early stages of the lockdown? And in what ways do you think it's changed if you... Are of the belief that it has changed?
1: So higher education remains the congregate setting their residences, classrooms. So we, we always remain the most vulnerable population. And with more and more data coming that the variants having showing affinity to young people in South African data clearly shows that people between the age of 20 and 30 have the highest infectivity rate and followed by between 30 to 40. So, so that's a very strong age group in our system. So having said that, you know, the the protocols, the policies that we have launched, the systems that we have developed, control mechanisms, 40,000 frontline workers that have been established and trained and capacitated, there will always be those um, resistance towards, you know, behavior when it comes to fatigue and how much can a human body take for that long, you know. But I think these 40,000 foot soldiers that have been capacitated, the system has to work and they were working day and night, and they're still trying to protect it. We have, our prevalence rate and incidence rate have been far lower compared to the country in general. However, we are the most vulnerable. Predominantly, our protocols and systems built by higher health is shown very effective. The health check that is a daily green passport student has to do before entering a campus works tremendously because it helps in preventing early infections coming into our system. So the continuation of the health checks, the passports to enter into the system, pushing students and staff to do their daily screening is is very, very critical. And and as much as fatigue is coming, that push of doing these things is important. We have a PSAT vaccination strategy, a complete strategy built with the help of Department of Health. We're working on it. We're working and seeing uh, the challenges. We are dependent on the Department of Health. We have trained all our healthcare workers. They're all ready for vaccination and jabs. Uh, We want to bring the jabs to our own system rather than our system going to the clinics for the jabs. It will make more easier distribution of vaccinations. So it's going to be age specifics because elderly are shown to be highly fatal. So we are going to try and push if we cannot get uh, the phase 2A, all our staff getting vaccinated and Uh, say the phase 2b or phase 3a of the government vaccination program we get our all our students vaccinated so we're working on those principles of vaccination program with the department of health and our state of readiness is that we are quite ready our facilities are quite in the colleges and campuses ready for the jabs to take place it purely depends on the availability of the jabs and the government protocol system that we have to follow eventually.
0: Amazing stuff, Doctor. And to close our discussion on a rather anecdotal note, we mentioned at the top of our discussion how tragic the situation is in India as far as the spike of COVID-related deaths, the spike of new COVID infections and the way in which this growing situation, this ever-developing situation in India is a cause of great concern, not just for us in South Africa, but all over the globe. And we absolutely need to stand together in support and solidarity with the people of India to mourn the loss of life, the immense loss of life as brought about by this sudden surge in infections and deaths. In what ways do you believe the rest of us as a global community can show solidarity to the people of India, to the health workers and frontline workers over there in India at the front line of this fight against this newly arrived fresh wave of infections? And in what ways? Do you think we can take this and incorporate this as lessons to learn in our own lives, to ramp up our own efforts to protect ourselves from a new wave of infection here in South Africa?
1: Uh, India is a big and a powerful country. There's no doubt about it. The health system is far, far bigger and superior in terms of medical science and compared to the global world in general. It's the biggest hub of development of the vaccines for the whole world, as well as for the medications and probably the pharma hub of the whole world. So India is a very big, complex country in general. I know that the global world is showing great solidarity and providing assistance to India in the form of oxygen cylinders or building hospitals or building more healthcare systems around. I think for South Africa, I'm sure on the diplomatic, on the more government-to-government operations, there's something which would be supportive from South Africa to India. For South Africa at this stage should be it's about to learn from the Indian crisis and be ready and not be complacent and say this is what's happened in India it can happen any moment in a third wave to our country. And right now our infections are all time low, which is very, very good news. But it takes a couple of mutants to become highly transmissible and escaping the antibody system, and, and there you go, the fire goes very quickly. So I think for South Africa at this stage will be is to To be very vigilant, um, take Indian situation as a concern and be ready for all the possible system failure that this virus causes to ensure that this doesn't happen again to our country.
0: A straight to the point analysis of Everything we need to do to make sure that we arm ourselves with the necessary resolve to prevent us ending up in the same situation as India. Keep up those efforts to protect yourselves. Please keep wearing those masks. Keep practicing social distancing. Keep obeying the regulations for lockdown and other COVID-related regulations put in place and also go out of your way to show that solidarity with the people of India. We have just been in conversation with the CEO of Higher Health, Dr. Ramnik Alualia, here on the COVID report, talking to us about the situation in India and also further reiterate the call to remain vigilant, make sure that we don't get complacent in our own efforts to protect ourselves from COVID-19. So one more time, Dr. Thank you so much for joining us here on the COVID report.
1: No, thank you very much. And it's an absolute honor.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By, by Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. 88.1. Or streams Stream. by www.vafm.co.za.